Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Normally, when I come somewhere for the first time, not the city, but this particular church, and meet a new pastor and his wife, they become my new best friends, especially when they treat me to the dinner they did last night. I was raised in Wilmington, North Carolina, so I love the coast. And so uh, normally, as far as a real push of how to take care of me, the only thing that really matters is where they feed me. And so uh, thank you so much, Stacy and uh, Tommy. And what a joy it is to see my friend, uh, Sonny Holmes. I've known Sonny a long time. And then Craig Tuck, uh, he and Rebecca, what a joy they were in serving with us seven years and in staying in contact. And it's just been a great time. I appreciate how Trey and Randy and all the team have taken care of us. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Psalms 103. Psalms 103. And if you don't have a Bible and someone besides you besides you do, I hope you'll look on or just pull it up in your phone. And, you know, as you travel, certainly it used to be said more than it is now, but everybody always said, I want a preacher that preaches out of the Bible. And I always thought, I want a congregation that uses theirs. All right, so anyway, or brings them. So, uh, and sometimes you don't bring it because I know you've got it all memorized. But uh, nonetheless, good to be here. I rejoice with you in 50 years. The video was uh, moving just to watch how God had worked in your life and what he's done in the life of the church and where you are now. So celebrating yesteryear and even today. Sharing with Pastor coming over here, I preached to him a little bit as a young pastor and really uh, I'm not sure what all he remembered that I told him, but one thing he will remember, he really appreciated me referring to him as a young pastor. And uh, I just told him, I said, you know, pastor, I was reading recently where folks that were in their seventies or older were asking if they could live life over again, uh, what would they do differently? And they were three major uh, statements that rose to the surface. And one was, I would reflect more. And really the psalm that I'm dealing with, theologians and historians will say it's a reflective psalm. It's even referred to as a hallelujah psalm. It's, It's just full of praise. This is interesting. I'm getting ready to read a psalm and there's not a single request in it. And just for the record's sake, Uh, I do devotions every morning. I'm sure you do. It is hard. I'm not sure I can ever remember having personal devotion that I didn't have request where it was nothing but thanksgiving and praise. And then they said that if I could live life over, I would take greater risk. 
So I, I don't want to play it so safe that when my life's over, I may have played it safe, but I didn't really make a difference. And then they said I would have invested more in that which would outlast me. So I've been a pastor 43 years, spent 33 years at Woodstock. And uh, I, the reason I brought that up is I read this morning a text from a man that I led to Christ in 97. And he talked to me about what it had meant, and it was just perfect timing, and then what he wanted to do and where he had learned it. And it just, it just showed me that our lives can be impactful. And so I pray that would happen in our life. This psalm is going to be one that if you study your Bible very much, it's a very memorable psalm. Matter of fact, you can quote the first couple of verses from memory. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. And so I've entitled it, praising him with every fiber of my being. With all that's within me, I want to praise him. I want to bless him. And then he puts it this way. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Well, as a student of the word, my paper's in front of me, my pen's there, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, what benefits? And one person put it this way. It's like he laid his pen down, lifted his hand before the Lord, and he counted off on his five fingers, and he named five extremely significant benefits of knowing the Lord. I oftentimes make this statement. The single greatest decision I've ever made in my life was a snowy Sunday night in Wilmington, North Carolina, January the 7th, 1973, when God stepped out of heaven and came into my life and saved me. So since I made that statement, I was with the church the other day and they're just kind of known worldwide. And so the pastor said, and it really was true that morning, literally hundreds of thousands were watching us online that morning. And he said, before you finish, look in the camera and as succinctly as you can, tell them what the gospel is. Here's the gospel to me. Jesus has forgiven me of my sins, past, present, and future. Someone says, how can you say your sins were forgiven in the future? You haven't even committed them yet. When he died for my sins, I weren't even born yet. And he had already made provisions for what I would do my entire life. Thank God for Calvary. Uh, number two, he didn't just save me. I struggled, and I'll tell you why in a moment, from the background I came out of of believing I don't know that I can live this life. Well, let me just help you. The Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. That's why it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So when a person gets their sins forgiven, God comes into your life as the person of God, the Holy Spirit. And when he does, he gives you his disposition and his nature. And so now he literally changes your want-tos, things you used to love, you don't care for, and things you didn't care for, you begin to love. And then on top of that, he gives me life everlasting. Um, 
if you struggle with liking me now, it's okay. You're going to like me more on the other side. (laughs) One of my favorite songs has always been, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilt and stain. It's in that song that it says these, these words. And there's coming a day we will be saved to sin no more. And I won't know that in this life, but on the other side, if you could get just to the veil and see me, you'd say there's something different about him. And it would be because ultimately now and finally I have become like him and I'm saved to sin no more. So just hold on, quit being so impatient. Uh, He's going to change it all. So I want you to listen to these five things. What is it that he holds his hand up and he counts? Verse three, he forgives all your iniquity. And why, why did he choose that word? Why didn't he use sin? Why didn't he use transgression? And then look what he does. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like that of an eagle. The psalmist is blessing the Lord. He deals with individual and personal praise. In verses one through six, if we read further, he moved to national praise. He concluded in verse 20 and following with universal praise. The psalmist admonishes us here on your 50th anniversary to not forget the blessings after we've received and enjoyed them. Uh, We're really enjoying oftentimes someone else's labors. Uh, This is referred to as an envelope psalm because it begins with bless the Lord and the very last phrase is bless the Lord. The thoughts of God's grace parade before the song of the the singer. His thoughts soar Godward as he thinks of all he owes God and the benefits he's received from God. I love music. I'm not a singer, but I know good music when I hear it. And believe it or not, even though I'm not a singer, every now and then I sing. And I sing not because I can sing, but because I got a song. And I've always heard it said that if you got a song and you don't sing, we ought to pray that God send you to sing, sing till you will sing. (laughs) And so, uh, so every now and then I sing, uh, There's one song, uh, they always want me to sing at Woodstock. And I say always, they want me to sing. My wife says to me, she's a prophet. She cuts to the chase, black and white. And she just says, I wish you wouldn't sing. Why do you sing? I said, Janet, they lined up to thank me. God used me when I sang today. She said, who? Who lined up? And And I started naming them. She said, they're all senior adults. I said, so? She said, not a one of them could hear you. So anyway, it's, um, 
but uh, the song that probably has meant as much to me as any song I've ever sung simply goes like this. Today I went back to the place where I used to go. Today I saw the same old friends I knew before. And when they asked me what had happened, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, things are different than before. As the tears ran down my face, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. And my wife prefers that I talk the words instead of (laughs) sing them. I think about this service and I think about this psalm. And I love the song. I used it as a theme song when I was president of our convention. It's entitled, When I Think About the Lord. And just listen to this small part of it. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and he turned me around, how he placed my feet on solid ground. It makes me want to shout. People always say, I tell you, you got so fired up today, I almost shouted. And I'm thinking, dear God, why don't you shout? You shout at the ball games and everywhere else. If you come to church and something is said or something is sung and you feel like shouting, why don't you just let it rip? It makes me want to shout, thank you, (laughs) hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And they're saying now every time I shout to take me out. But anyway, uh, so Lord, you are worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. You know, I'm just going to mention it and I'm going to move on to the second thought, but I I just wrote down uh, in outline form um, my thoughts. And the first thing he begins with in verses one and two is really adoration. His heart's full of, a, of appreciation and he's talking about God's blessings. And then he, um, he moves from God's blessings to the benefits and memory is a great aid to worship. <clears throat> Let me tell you what uh, they say about this psalm. It is a transcendent prayer. Uh, The psalmist is rising above himself, and listen to this, and having a talk with himself. Let me just ask you a question. You ever talk to yourself? I do. I I study in the mornings, and then I exercise. I go for long walks. And when I'm out walking, I pray through my day. I pray through a lot of things uh, in my heart. I try to put pretty much to best I can most of everything I'm going to say to memory. And uh, you just have a talk to yourself. Sometimes I have uh, talked. Someone said, you ought to preach the gospel to yourself every day. And another friend of mine said, yeah, and sometimes you need to be long-winded. I mean, so just really talking and saying, you ever done this? Like, God, I don't know what I was thinking. Why did I say that? Uh, We were celebrating Christmas at our house and our children and our grandchildren and for whatever reason, every time one of my grandchildren would open a gift, they would say, oh, wow, thank you, me mommy. So she's me mommy, I'm papa. Every one of them, and I kept thinking. But it's just, hey, thank you, me mommy. So finally, 
I said something. I said, so me, mommy, where do you work? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, I shouldn't have said that. And I just want to say something other than telling you that I said it. I've made a pledge to God. I will never say that again. And then she said, where do I work in front of everybody? I'll tell you where I work. Who you think picks up your underwear? I mean, that's where she started. I mean, just went on and on and on. And, and I'll just be honest. By the time she was through, I was thinking to myself, I would not trade jobs with her. Can I get an amen from all the women in the house? Yeah, there we go. So his benefits, he's uh, thinking about them. But then he moves, and it's really what I call in the text, the foundation of the text. Who forgives our iniquity? And by the way, this is just interesting. You study, and the word forgives used in the scripture is always only of God's forgiveness of sinners. You know, we went through a few generations ago or maybe a few decades ago where uh, if you heard a song like, uh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, I don't want to say that because I'm the righteousness of Christ. I'm this and I'm that. You may be all those, but you will never be on beyond a sinner saved by grace. So add all the other accolades, but you better never forget. And I'll tell you one thing that's happening in this nation. We've forgotten where God found us or we've gotten over getting saved. So he forgives. May I never forget that I've been forgiven. And, and then he, he uses a very picturesque word. He says, who forgives our iniquity. Iniquity pictures something that's twisted and distorted. So before I got saved, if somebody tried to witness to me, I might would say this. I just don't see it. Vance Havner used to say, never scald a blind man for not seeing. I'm telling you until God raises the veil by the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we'll never see it. It takes all the pressure off the proclaimer of the message. Spurgeon had it right when he said, I can no more change a life than I can create a star. But you preach a gospel that I have watched through the years honestly bring thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I want to make a statement, and I'll give it all the clarity I need to. When a person has been forgiven, God changes that person's life. Um, the Bible makes it clear, no change no Christ. So a lot of times people want you to define and they'll just say, Pastor Johnny, tell us the best you know how. How does a person know they've been saved? Because they've been changed. Any man in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. God changes your life. I was raised by a single mom. My dad checked out when I was seven. I have five siblings, so mother with six kids. 
wasn't long after he left, we left the house we were in and we moved to a place called Nesby Courts, which is a government project. If you were to go into my office at my home, it always stayed at my office at church in a prominent place, you'll find the original letters of my house. I lived at 6D Nesbitt Courts. I have it there, so I will never forget where God found me and God saved me. And by the way, when we sat here on 50 years, you know what we've done? And it's healthy to do it. Look back and thank God for those who went before us and laid what? A good foundation for what? What does the Bible do? It lays the foundation of the apostles and the prophets so that we could come along as pastors and teachers and build on their first century work. I quit school when I turned 16. I started managing Sunset Park Pool Room, Wilmington, North Carolina, Carolina Beach Road. They were not many people there in the daytime, so I would practice billiards for seven and eight hours a day. I got good. I hustled pool for a couple of years. When I was 19 and 20, the greatest aspiration of my life was to become a professional billiard player. This sounds weird, but I called the spirit of God as my witness. Just before COVID, my phone rang and someone from yesteryear called and said, we got your number and we're at the pool hall downtown Wilmington and we're all talking about you. I've been out of there 47 years. What are they talking about? (laughs) And here's what they said. Larry Falk is going to win this championship. And somebody spoke up and said, Larry, the reason you're going to win is because Johnny Hunt got saved. I mean, this just happened, 47 years. And they said, they're here bragging about how good you were and kind of took me back to those days. I have a nine foot regulation table in my home until two years ago. Every deacon I've ever pastored came to my house to try to beat me at a game of billiards. And no, they never did. But somebody said, well, you don't still gamble, do you? Yes, but I give all my winnings to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. No, I don't gamble. That's just, that's nonsense. I don't do that. When I was 20, a man by the name of N.W. Pridgen, a carpenter, please hear this, because last night when the pastor was telling about your church, he told me this about you, and I need to encourage you and challenge you. Mr. Pridgen said, why don't you get your pretty little wife and come to Longleaf Baptist Church and worship with us one Sunday? I'd never owned a Bible I'd been to church a couple of times. I'd never been to a Bible study class, revival, or a Sunday evening service. And so my wife started saying, we ought to go to church. And I said, if we go, we're going to go to Longleaf. She said, I'll go anywhere. It was, I lived two blocks from Longleaf Baptist Church. I went and God brought me under conviction. What is conviction? It's where the Holy Spirit of God in promise to Jesus Christ, John 16, 9, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What does it mean for God to convict? God exposes your need. 
Is there something significant about that? Yes, because what I would do is justify the way I lived and feel pretty good about going into eternity because I'd say this. If I rode by, if I saw somebody smoking out front at the church, I'd say this. He going to heaven, so am I. So what you do, you compare yourself with other people. But then when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you, he shows you your sinfulness and his holiness. And you're overwhelmed by the drawing power of Jesus. God begins to work. That morning when the preacher was closing the service, he said this. There's a young man here that needs to be saved. Let's all join together and pray God bring him back and save him. I left church. I had a a GTO that I raced at Holly Ridge Drag Strip on Sunday afternoon. I went home. My wife said, we're not going to the drag strip? I said, no. She said, why? I said, preacher was talking about me. Somebody heard that one time and said, oh, preacher had your number. No, let me, listen to me carefully because God may do it here. The preacher didn't have my number. Jesus knows my name. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ knows everything there is to know about you? And so God spoke to me. So I, I went back and I said, now, Janet, I'm going to go back and I'm really desirous to surrender my life to the Lord, but I don't think I can hold out. And I even made her listen to this nonsense. If I make this commitment tonight and he doesn't change me, don't you give me a hard time about heading back to the Red Fox Saloon tomorrow night or back in the pool room gambling and cussing and on. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said the night that he got saved, he lost 80% of his vocabulary. And so that night, it's hard for you to believe this. The reason I quit school the day I quit is it was time for me to give a public book report and I was terrified at public speaking. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? And so as we got closer to the invitation, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I I was too nervous. I could not move. So I looked over and I said, Janet, do me a favor. When the invitation call is given, go down and tell Mr. Gibson, I want to get saved. (laughs) And Janet said, I'd do anything for you. And I want everybody to hear this. Nobody can get saved for you. And Bill Bright, God rest his soul. You must individually, you must individually receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So he is praising God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Every fiber of my being, bless his name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not. There it is again. Don't you ever forget his benefits. There is no greater benefit than he forgives your So this is a great emphasis. The word forgiveness in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is defined this way. To take something away and place somewhere else. Now, you may say, oh, is that biblical? I'll tell you how biblical it is. Listen to verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Well, if Jesus has not dealt with me according to my sins, what has he done? He placed them on himself on the cross. They've been nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. 
And then he says this in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgression from us. Another word, these are the shorter words, the word restoration. He heals all your diseases. So, man, what, what do you mean? The Bible often referred to Jesus healing diseases, and it wasn't always leprosy or this type. The soul has its diseases. Now, listen to me carefully. This will help some of you. Uh, the disease called guilt, Jesus can set you free. I'm glad that when Jesus set me free, I did a men's conference, I do a Super Bowl Sunday weekend, and, and it's a miracle of God for me not to be raised by a man, but by a mama. I was told two years ago, I host the largest local church men's conference in the United States. We had 31,000 online last year, 4,700 in the room. Before I went online, I had 12,000 on two weekends. Who would ever dream? All these men that would come to Woodstock. I did one called Prison Break and we would fix the screen or the whole deck up here, the platform like a prison scene. And see, Jesus has opened the door and some of you have been set free. But if you'll notice, they're still dragging the ball and chain. Jesus didn't just come to forgive you. Jesus came to free you from your, disease, dis, your diseases. I don't have to live under the guilt of my past. I think every now and then when I'm driving down the road and I look in my rearview mirror and it says the things in rearview mirror are really smaller than they appear. And I found that the further you go, after a while you can't even see them back there. Can anybody say Amen. And uh, aren't you glad that Jesus can get us past our past? He can deal with your fears. There's a fear that's the bondage of death. Uh, there's doubt. There's depression. Uh, there's anger. There's lust. There's hate. There's jealousy. There's greed. He freezes. But let me go to the third statement. This is one of my favorite. Uh, the third word or fourth that I, I put down is the word redemption. He redeems your life from destruction. Not only did God save you when he saved you, but have you ever thought about this? Where would you be now without Jesus? I went back to Wilmington to do a funeral and it was for my cousin and he, I led him to Christ about a year before he died, but he was still heavily connected to the people I'd been connected with over 40 years ago. So when I got to the funeral that day, Honest before God, here's what I told everybody. It was like a pool room reunion. So everybody I used to hang with in my 20s were now, you know, we're all in our 60s. So it was kind of cool. They were coming up and saying, hey, Marie. And, you know, you just, you can lie and say, yeah. Or you can say, uh, help me. <laughs> so I just say, uh, help me. Um, Ronnie Smith. And I'd look and and you are Ronnie Smith. And so it went on and on and on. And uh, I got to thinking, ladies, men think this way too. I'd ask my wife, do I look as old as he? <laughs> and that, 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 them drugs and whiskey had done a number on that dude, man, over those next 40 years. 
But when he talks about redeemed, it really means he rescued you. And I want you to listen to this. It refers to the consequences of God's healing. He redeemed your life from going to waste. Um, I post a lot on social media. And so this morning I was just overwhelming. Overwhelmed, so I just put morning reflection. God has been so good to me. And um, I thank him for Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Just said something like that. And it, it undoubtedly resonated because it just went crazy on social media. I think made people reflect themselves. Um, I wrote this statement. I've been bought and brought. He didn't just bring me out of that kind of life. <laughs> he brought me in to this kind of life. Jesus not only redeemed my soul from hell, he redeemed my life from destruction. Some, some of you would feel the way I feel. I feel pretty confident I wouldn't still be here had I not got saved. I mean, I, I was, I lived for the weekends. I was in a fast lane, had no purpose, direction in life. He not only saved me from my sin, this is good. He saved me from myself. And no wonder he would say, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Wherefore, glorify God in your body and in your, your spirit. So he really saved me from self-destruction. If you ever read my story, you can go to johnnyhunt.com and just put in there, pool room to pulpit. It's a 27-page book or there's a CD. But uh, when I was about 17 years old, I got into a lot of trouble and I was about to get into more trouble. So I went home and I'm embarrassed to even say it in mixed companies, but I put something in the car to hurt somebody with and was on my way back to do that. And I was heavily under the influence of alcohol and I pulled, ran off the right hand side of the road, car flipped several times, headed faced the other traffic. And uh, Rex Clark was with me. I'm a Native American, Lumbee from Eastern North Carolina. And so is he. Had we died that night on the integrity of this book, we'd have both gone to hell. Robbie Zacharias is a very close personal friend. I did an interview about him with, from California yesterday. And um, Robbie uh, would often ask me about my life and my past. And it just dawned on me there when I was just talking about it. I remember walking by the car when it was just mingled. How in the heaven we survived and um, kind of had an attitude trying to show off my friends and I'd say, you can't kill me. But Robbie Zacharias called me and said, I'm doing a um, apologetic conference. Choose a theme and be one of my keynote speakers. I thought, oh my God. So I said, well, I'll, I'll do the grace of God. And he said, it's taken. <laughs> Love of God. I mean, I wanted the low-lying fruit. Taken. <laughs> Peace of God. 
I went through every doctrine I knew, and it was a big conference that we were all taken. Guess what I ended up with? The forbearance of God. So let me give you the gist of the forbearance. Literally, here's what it means. God passed over your sin in his persevering soul in order to give us time to repent. Had God judged me in my sin when I sinned without passing over it, I'd have been in destruction a long time ago. But God in his mercy, matter of fact, if you're a man or a woman, a young person here, you've never been saved. And it is clear, you find it the first time in Genesis chapter six and verse three, and you find it other times in the Bible. And he simply just makes this statement. Sometimes it even seems out of context. He says this, my spirit shall not always strive with you. Somebody says, well, I'm not a Christian, but I'll get saved when I'm ready. No, you won't. Nobody ever gets saved when they're ready. They get saved when the spirit of God draws you. Why is that, Pastor Johnny? Because you have no desire to get saved until God gives you desire. And then two words and y'all preach me out of my time. The fifth word is compassion. And I'm just gonna briefly say it. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. How many of you are grateful for Lamentations 323? that every morning his mercies are new. Aren't you grateful every now and then that yesterday's over and you can start with a clean slate this morning? And his compassion, here it is, fail not. And if they did fail, we'd be, the Bible says, consumed. But he crowns us. It means God lavishes us with positive blessings. Here, here's a good one. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do I have that I did not receive? You got children? Look at me. God gave them to you. You got health? God gave it to you. You've been blessed financially? God gave it to you. You may never recognize. I'm telling you, it is a gift from God. He has crowned you. Augustine put it this way. I love his way of saying it more than any of Augustine said, God has been good to me. He has given me more than I need. That's why you had to decide what to wear today. But he's shown me others that need it. That's why we go other places with his resources. So much for that verse. And I close with this. Satisfaction, number six. This is interesting. You're gonna have to really press in to catch what I'm getting ready to say. Let me quote the verse. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Everyone I studied said David was getting on up in age. David is reflecting on what God has done. And when the Bible, this is really interesting, uses the word mouth, the word that is used in the original text translates old age of du- or duration of years. How in the world do you get that out of mouth? But that's what it translates. He's saying no matter how old we become, God can satisfy the needs of your life and the spiritual desires of your heart. Where did this language come from? It's the language of an eagle. And if you want to study it, since we can Google everything, Google the word moat. 
M-O-L-T, or molting. What is molting? An eagle, bald eagles in particular, other birds, but in particular, bald eagles. As they get older, instead of soaring on the mountains, you will find them walking in the valleys. They're old. But God sovereignly, supernaturally does something. The molting process is where the eagle begins to lose its feathers and God grows new ones. I believe it's what Isaiah had in mind in chapter 40 when he says, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run. And so God can actually revive you again. So I'm 68. I preach two or three times every week. In the last 14 days, I preach 13 times. So what are you trying to say? I got some new wings. I'm telling you. I'm molding. Amen. Somebody says, you so old, you molded. No, ain't molded. I'm molding. And so sometimes you just think, well, I've, I've had my better years and God's through with me. You have no right to say that. And I'll tell you why. Pastor, I was glad you, uh, Pastor asked me at dinner last night, said, Brother Johnny, what are you preaching tomorrow? And I said, I think Psalms 103. And so what do you mean? I said, well, Henry Blackaby, I did Henry's retirement celebration. And so I reread his book and then read his newer one so I could really just speak into his life and it was Henry Blackley, so let's find out what God's up to and join him. And so you were up and you got to talking about Joshua. Um, I love Joshua, but let me tell you who I love just as much as Joshua. This is my closing remarks. Caleb. What do you love about Caleb? Joshua and Caleb went into Hebron together. Remember, came back with all of the fruit and all, and they just said, man, we need to go take the land. And they said, there's giants in the land. And what did they say? They're like grasshoppers. Thank God for grasshopper seeing Baptists. How would you like to lay down at night in the wilderness for 40 years knowing that God never made you for the wilderness. He created you for Canaan, the promised land, the land of victory, 40 years. Because they voted in a business conference. And just for the record's sake, 10 outvoted them. And I'm just going to speak of my ignorance. And I've read through the Bible over and over and over again and preached every verse in, in the book of Joshua. But let me tell you what I can't do right now. Can't name one of the 10 who voted against the will of God. But we name our children Joshua. Call him Josh and Caleb. Why do you love Caleb? Because when Caleb died, Caleb wanted, when he was finishing, this is good, 
what he wanted when he started. That's where we go wrong in our walk with Jesus. God puts in your heart some things you want and you no longer want it. Young preacher just thinks, I'm gonna win the whole community. And then there's other things. Crowd out the main thing. So Joshua 14. The land has been conquered and they're dillying out the land to the 12 tribes. Joshua looks at Caleb and said, Caleb, name it. What do you want? I want the land of the Anakins, the giants. I want to go back where the giants are. He said, I am as strong today. And listen, he was 85. I am as strong today as I was then. Maybe God will give me the mountains. Flip on the valley. We still got mountains to climb. Thank God for 50 years. But there's another generation of lostness. And I wrote it down in my notes when Craig said a moment ago, and I've got it exactly like you said it, and I won't get it just right this time because I haven't memorized it yet. But you said they, yeah, you said they've owned their lostness for their geography. If the people in, let's just start with three mile radius, one mile, two mile, five mile radius, are ever to know Christ, there's nobody else been sanctioned from heaven to touch them with the gospel but you. So brothers and sisters, let's rise up. God, give me the mountains. I'll take the land with the giants. We're giant killers. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for who you are. Have your will and way in this invitation. With heads bowed and eyes closed. It's a joy to be here. God, I've had such liberty to preach. I feel like God is here. I really do. A lot I don't know, but I know when God is here because I've preached too many times when I weren't under his touch. He is here. I'd like to just ask you about the most significant decision in your life. So would you do this little mental test with me? Would you go back in your mind's eye right now to the day you got saved? Can you get it? You ought to be able to get there quick. I'm at 317 Shipyard Boulevard, Wilmington, North Carolina, snowy Sunday night. You may not remember the date, but you ought to remember a time that you turned from your sins and placed your faith in Christ. Has that given you great confidence and assurance through the years to know that when you breathe your last breath, and you will, and so will I, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you do and you thank God for it, let me see your hand. Just, I mean, we're blessing the Lord for salvation. You're raising your hand. You're simply just saying, I'll tell you what, I've got it in my mind. God changed my life. You can put your hands down. Boy, that sure is the majority of us. But I'll tell you what, it was not, and I'm being honest, it was not all of us. What if you were to say this morning, Pastor Johnny, I couldn't raise my hand because I've never really settled that. But watching those two people baptized this morning, I realize there's a need in my life to identify with Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Here it is. Come into my life, live your life through me. Thank you that you're giving me the gift of eternal life and this life is over. I can spend eternity with you. I'm gonna pray what we call a sinner's prayer. If this is the attitude of your heart, would you make this prayer your prayer? And would you ask God personally, individually, 
Jesus, save me. And the reason we need to call on Jesus is we can't save ourselves. So just pray with me right there where you are. And here's good news. You can be saved right where you are. And that's see, you can be saved right there. So if you want to trust Christ, pray with me. Lord Jesus, just tell him, Lord Jesus, I need you. I know I cannot save myself. So I ask you, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and save me. Thank you for dying for me. Help me to live for you. And thank you this morning for hearing my prayer and for saving me. Now help me to never be ashamed of you. No one's looking around. I don't plan to come to you, point you out or embarrass you. I don't have the eyes of Christ. Can't look into your heart to know what you've done. I'm about to head back to the airport to fly to my family. All of my family is together and I'm gonna join them, God willing. But I'd sure like to know before I left that someone this morning, and I prayed that someone would come to Christ. If you'd say, Pastor Johnny, when you prayed, God knows my heart. I prayed along with you today. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. Would you acknowledge that by just slipping your hand up in the air for just a moment? Put it up in the air and hold it there where I can see it. Go ahead, just put it up. Put it up. Put it up. Others, just put it up. Put it up in the air. Take a minute. It's a big room. Just slip it up in the air and put it right back down. All you're saying is today, God bless you, son. Today, when you prayed, I ask Christ to come into my life. Anyone else? Anyone else? Slip it up. Put it back down. Some of you are visiting and you're looking for a church home. What a great day to join Northwood. I mean, it really is. I pray that a good number of families, individuals, when the pastor tells you how in a moment, will come and unite with this fellowship. And maybe some of you need to come and just find a place here at the front, kneel for a moment and recommit your life to the Lord and let God start a molding process in your life, giving you new wings for this next chapter of your life. Father, have your way in each of our hearts for Jesus' sake, amen.